Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. And a very, very happy birthday, 116 years old today, our very own Chelsea Football Club. Rahul, I hope you're giving a toast to this one. I've been toasting all day long. <laughs> That's excellent news, my friend. Can you believe we've made it this far? I can't, but I, I am very thankful to Gus Mears, who started the club for us 116 years ago. And a lot of success in those years, especially in recent times. So wonderful news to see that we're celebrating the birthday today. Absolutely. Happy birthday to Chelsea and everyone. Uh, congratulations. So we have a lot to cover this week, Rahul. We are bringing back our review of Chelsea versus Everton. And obviously the game ended 2-0, but why don't you jump right into it and give us the starting 11? Tinker Mantuchel made five changes for this game. And we've kind of come to expect changes in his lineups from the time he's been here. So Mendin, Goal, Espelicueta, Christensen, Kurt Zuma was the first change. Reese James, Jorginho, Kovacic was the second change from the Liverpool game. Alonso was the third change who came in for Ben Chilwell. Timo Werner, Hudson-Odoi, and Kai Havertz in a false nine. So the last two changes were Hudson-Odoi and Kai Havertz. So usually on this podcast, you and I do our recording and then we struggle to come up with a name, but I think you've picked the name right off the bat here with Tinkerman Tuchel. It's definitely a good way to do the introduction here and good to see some names back from the cold. I think we've said this before in Kurt Zuma making an appearance, Alonzo back in, but he's been pretty much the favorite so far. So Chilwell drops out sometimes with Hudson Doe. I don't know if he wants to play him or he doesn't want to play him, but good to see the young man getting minutes and in a different position as well, a little more higher up the field. Yeah, definitely. It was a, a refreshing lineup in that Zuma gets a run out. Havertz gets a run out. Uh, and Conte gets a break who had played two consecutive games. So it was good. And I didn't really have any complaints. I was very interested to see how we would play with Havertz up top. So uh, that was a good uh, output and display from him as well. Yeah. He's talked about Kai Havertz quite a bit as a unique player for lack of a better word. And he said, he's not a nine, he's not a 10, he's a nine and a half over here. And to be honest with you, I've not really heard any manager refer to a player as a nine and a half. I've heard them as versatile, meaning they can play the 10, the nine, the 11, but nine and a half is a very unique term as well. Just like he had, you know, alluded to Havertz being that middle of a striker, but not necessarily a midfielder. What did you make of his performance? He started off a a bit slower, uh, but as the game went on and as he got more involved in the game, you could see why he was playing as the false nine and you could see that this was a uh, premeditated tactic and idea of having him in that position. And given that he hadn't played for a few weeks, he had had a couple of sub appearances, a few minutes here and there. So to start a full game and go the whole 90 minutes, uh, I think he did pretty well. I must confess that that's really the, the reason you call him Tinkerman Tuchel, because you would not imagine that Kai Havertz, who's not really played a strong 90 minutes, I should say, comes in and plays against Everton, who are no, you know, roll over and play dead kind of team. They do have a very strong defensive lineup and an interesting goalkeeper, but he's a strong goalkeeper as well in Jordan Pickford. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about Everton before we move on to everything. I'll run through their lineup over here really quickly. They played a 3-4-1-2. Very similar to Chelsea's, and we know that that formation has hurt us in the past. We've seen that with other clubs that match up against us, but Pickford and goal, Godfrey, Keane, and Holgate as the three in the center back positions. Luca Dinia, Alan, Andre Gomez, and Iwobi. Sigurdsson playing almost like that false nine, if you want to call it that. And then Richarlison and Dominic Calvin Lewin. So for an Everton squad, it's probably one of the strongest Everton squads I've seen in re- recent history. And King Carlos building something there, expecting a challenge, but. I have to be honest with you, Rahul. I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but I came back and watched the entire 19 minutes. I taped it and watched it. We didn't really kick off too hot, did we? We didn't. And that's, I mean, we can expect that. I think our main thing is not to concede early, to get a rhythm and tempo to our game early in the first half. And that's kind of what we did, you know, in this game as well. And Everton had come in knowing that they wouldn't be having much of the ball and they would have to, defend and stay deep and not allow us a lot of space. But like you said, they play a a hybrid really of a back three, which turned into a back four at certain points, depending on what they needed. Uh, But they didn't really create too much early on. And once we settled into our way of playing, uh, there was only really one outcome you could see, which was Chelsea would find a goal at some point. Yeah, so that first goal coming in the form of Kai Havertz. Now it went down as an own goal. Do you want to walk us through that one? Yeah, so that goal comes in the 31st minute. Uh, A deflection comes off of Ben Godfrey and goes into the goal. But the buildup to that goal, which is what got me excited, uh, Hudson-Odoi, which was heavily involved in a lot of what we did in the attacking third, uh, finds Alonso kind of running in towards the edge of their box. Uh, and Alonso actually also does well to pick that space and move into it. And then once he receives the ball, he takes one touch, looks up and sees Havertz making the run and crosses it into him. Havertz tries to place it. Luckily for him, it hits Godfrey and goes into the net. Uh, the commentator I know said, I don't think that was going in when Havertz initially touched it. Right. No, honestly, I think, it's good of him to find the space. That's important, right? You want to make sure that he's making the runs and find the space. But let's roll it back to Marcus Alonso. I think credit is due heavily for that man. I think in the final third, Marcus Alonso shows what his real qualities are. He really turns into an assist machine, lots of pace, lots of energy. And the ball was inch perfect. It's almost like he had telepathy with Havertz or something. Yeah, Havertz's finish was not the best, but... It, it, it ends up great, and I'm sure it'll do him a world of confidence to move forward in that. Definitely. And touching on Alonso, he I mean he throughout that game turned Iwobi, who was supposed to be uh, Everton's right winger, into a right wing back. He just was staying back and defending because Alonso was just so threatening and uh, dominating on that wing. And you're right, I think Havertz did well to find space. But the other thing that was good was it wasn't just Havertz in the box. If he had not touched it, Timo Werner was there too to, you know, be present and try to finish the ball. Yeah, I want to talk about Timo Werner a little bit towards the end of this segment. But why don't we move on to the second half? And I don't know if there were too many chances, Rahul, to be honest with you. Like I said, I don't want to call it a snooze fest, but it's becoming very typical of Chelsea under Tuchel to control a lot of the ball 
but not necessarily have too much end product. And I'm not saying that as a heavy criticism, but you have talked about this on several podcasts where we almost rely on one moment to spark us to do something. And we asked for predictions in the last game. I think you and I both suggested a one nil, not because we don't have the attacking firepower, but, but the attacking firepower is not necessarily creating in the final third to put the ball in the net, but we ended up with the two nail here. Like I said, what happened for the second goal, my friend? So again, it was Kai Havertz involved in this, in the second goal. Uh, but before I get to this goal, there was a little incident with our good old friend VAR uh, that chalked off a beautiful finish from Kai Havertz that would have made it too. Uh, and I know we'll touch in, on that subject in a little bit. So coming to the goal, uh, Kovacic plays an excellent through ball right from our half into Everton's box. And Havertz was running onto it, gets to it first. Pickford rushes out and brings him down. And it's a penalty for Chelsea. And who else but Mr. Jorginho steps up, hop, skip, and gets the second goal. Good to see him scoring. Everybody knows he's not my cup of tea. In fact, he's not a lot of favorites for many Chelsea fans out there. I know... Let's be honest here. You and I have strong debates about Jorginho and you've stated that he has good control of the game. And I ask you what that means. And a lot of the time you'll say it's off the ball things that he does. And then I sit down and watch the game and the off the ball things he does make me very (laughs) concerned. (laughs) I mean, there were several instances where players would run by him like he doesn't exist. He's a ghost when they come with players with pace. Even at one point he fell flat on his face. Look, I'm not here to criticize him indefinitely for this whole thing, but he does make space. He does move around. He steps up and does a wonderful finish for the penalty. I'm just concerned about his defenses and his defensive ability, especially when you have teams on the counter. I hear you. And I know that's an issue. And I myself, am not his biggest fan, but in the last month or so under, in the under Tuchel, we've seen that Jorginho isn't there for his defensive work. And the fact that we play three centered backs, we play two wing backs, that's basically five defenders and a goalkeeper. I think at that point, we can allow Jorginho a little bit of uh, room to not defend as well as we expect him to. We allow him so much room, people drive by him and he just stands there <laughs> and watches it happen. No, let's not get hung up on Jorginho. Wonderful penalty. I like the confidence when he steps up for those penalties. He struggled a little bit early in the season. I think he missed two or three in a row changed his style I want to say in recent the last five or six games he had changed his style for one penalty scored and it gave him the confidence to go back to what he does best so two nil gives us a little bit of breathing room but let's talk about the elephant in the room or should I say the VAR referees sitting at a different stadium watching in their cozy screens talk to me about that it's, I mean, it's the same thing week after week. It's VAR, it's the unclear rules, it's uh, the perception of one referee to another and what's right and what's wrong. And so in this game, it was that Kai Havertz moment I had mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, he gets a beautiful ball from Hudson Adoy, who dinks it into the box. Havertz controls it, shows to be a little bit on his arm, a little bit on his chest. It's, it's kind of in between. But the goal's chalked off once he's finished it because they say it's a handball. Okay, fine. But this comes right after that Liverpool game where Timo Werner is called offside because his arm is offside. 
the same arm that Havertz is now told is a handball. So to me, that was confusing because you're telling me that you can't use your arm, but at the same time, you can be called offside for that same arm. I'm going to pause here first and commend you, Rahul, because you are our amazing social media manager here. And you give a lot of content to the fans outside of this podcast. And when you posted this, I had to stop and ask you a question, which you've actually explained brilliantly here. So for anybody who didn't see our Instagram post, Rahul actually put up two pictures side by side. This was in a story, so it may not be there now, which was the Timo Warner incident against Liverpool, where he was deemed offside based on, would you call it his upper arm, Rahul, from his shoulder to his elbow leaning forward? Yeah. And it's the same or same abouts position that Kai Havertz used to control the ball. And your argument is plain as day here is if that part of the arm, shoulder to elbow, if I'm understanding this correctly, can be judged offside because it interferes with play, then in theory, you're talking about Kai Havertz is, is now deemed offside for a foul as far as he touched the ball. So which which one is it, right? Can it be used? Can it not be used? It's one of those things where it's quite confusing, I would say. Absolutely. It is very confusing. And in fact, uh, the story I had put, the caption I put was someone explained this to us and DMs are open. And in fact, we got a, a, quite a few people writing to us, which was very nice. And and thank you to everyone that did. Uh, we loved hearing from you and interacting with you. And one such response came from uh, David on Instagram. He He himself is very frustrated with everything that's going on. And he says the offside rule must change. Uh, they say a part of your body is offside that you can score, then it's offside. So how can you be offside with your arm? Which is exactly what we're saying. Right. Uh, so a lot of fans feel the frustration and see exactly what we're seeing. And, and once again, thank you, David, and, and to the rest of the people that reached out to us. Yeah, thank you. Love the interaction. And it helps, gives us content to have discussions on this podcast for everybody else to listen to. But Rahul, I mean, simple question. The use of Kai Avert's arm, was that off, was that a foul to you is what I want to ask? It, unbiased opinion, yes, it was, it, it was a handball. It wasn't clearly on his chest. Right. And so if it was another player in our box scoring that, we would have asked for a handball. So that no, no issues with that. The real issue is then why is Timo Werner offside? Right. And, and that's what I wanted to clarify here was Rahul's not advocating that Kai's goal should have stood. That's not what we're saying. He's using it as a reference to what happened against Liverpool. Now, did we win that game? Yeah, absolutely. But having that second goal and building Timo's confidence always helps. But we move on from here. We've had many, many VAR rants you know, arguments. In fact, Marcos Alonso posted something on his Instagram recently saying, do you like VAR? Yes or no. He he did a little more crudely than that. I'm not going to get into what he did, but a lot of people voted. He voted. They're all against VAR. Look, the TPC is not saying the VAR should go away, but it definitely needs some sort of reform. It definitely does. And I think there was a meeting earlier this week or late last week where they are reviewing some changes and come next season, uh, there will be further changes and further rule uh, amendments. So hopefully that is the end of it and it's clear one way or another. But I'm just afraid the more we change it, the more it gets confusing for referees and, and VAR referees to understand. And uh, we're here debating these calls, but we'll save that for next week, I guess, or next season when, <laughs> when the rules come in. Uh, but for the balance of the second half, Jackie, I think, I mean, 2-0 up. We had a lot of chances that we could have put away and, and finished this game. 
but we didn't. Pickford pulled off some good saves. Werner didn't have his shooting boots on. Um, but we win it 2-0, which is the most important thing. Yeah, there are a few more things we need to touch on here. You said we had a lot of good chances. I want to criticize a player here, and I hate doing it, but we have to. Timo Werner has been a revolution with Tuchel. And what does that mean with revolution? He's not scoring many goals. He's not assisting. But his work rate and energy continues. That's something he has to be commended for. However, the chances he seems to be missing, and fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of them are falling at his feet. And I think a Timo Warner of early in the season or even a Timo Warner of RB Leipzig, this is bread and butter. He should be burying these. I mean, they were simple, simple, simple chances. It's very frustrating. I, I'm sure it's very frustrating for the young man himself. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I do want to talk about Tuchel and some information that's come out. And we could actually hear it because there are no fans in the stadium of what he said. I'll just read it here. Basically, Tuchel yells, Timo, how long are you staying on the left? You are playing the right. The last 15 minutes you've been on the left. Don't you understand? Rahul? I'm very impressed because he said all of that in German. <laughs> so <laughs> either you understand German or you've used Google Translate. But jokes aside, I, that was good for me to see because a manager is literally calling you out in-game and that's the beauty of not having fans there. I know that's very sad to, to say, but when you don't have fans there, you hear these interactions and it shows you that Tuchel's not afraid to go after Werner or whoever it is. He is going to call you out for what you're doing. And if you're doing it wrong, you better expect that you will be told off. And we saw him pull off Hudson Odoi a few weeks ago. So uh, he could easily have done that with Werner. Yeah, just a couple of things here. It's a, It shows that, there's some energy that he brings to the team just to say, hey, I'm the man in charge here. Let's go back to Maurizio Sarri and the Kepa incident that happened in 2018. I don't think something like that would ever happen underneath Tuchel. I think he would be a lot more stronger in that case. But it also shows that Timo Werner came out and said he doesn't mind when a manager yells at him because he needs to understand what the game plan is and go for it. So hopefully it means everybody's buying into his tactics. We've talked a little bit about it and how we're not scoring so much. But at the end of the day, it's his tactics. We live and die by them. So at the least you have to do is enforce it and play to what he's asking for. A couple of other things I want to talk to you about is the changes that happened in, I don't know, like the 85th minute of the game, I think is, is what it was when he brought Kante on, which we were winning the game two nail. I was like, do you not want to keep Kante fresh? That was Kante for Kovacic. He brings Mason Mount on for Callum Hudson-Odoi. By the way, Callum Hudson-Odoi was having a brilliant game and I'm not saying he needed to come off or not, but Mount has had brilliant games back to back to back, almost like what's the reason to run him out for five minutes and risk an injury or or whatever not. And one player that I'm a little bit surprised by that's not getting enough game time, in my opinion, of course, we have talent beyond talent beyond talent, but it's Christian Pulisic, especially since Tuchel knows him so well and was actually the first manager to give him his senior debut. What do you make of this? It was insulting for me to see Pulisic on the sideline, 90th minute, waiting <laughs> to come on. And initially, I think he was coming on for Havertz. The The decision was changed last minute, and then he came on for Werner. But before he could come on for Werner, they had to continue play. So he has to wait a few more seconds on the sideline. And it's like, couldn't he have come on 10 minutes earlier, 15 minutes earlier, uh, what is he going to do in the last three or four minutes 
that's going to change Tuchel's mind about him. Right. What's the point, I guess, is it bringing yeah, Exactly. What's the point? And that's the frustrating part of it, as you said, we brought on Mount and we brought on Conte. Now, I can see why we brought those two players on, because they bring a different energy and, and different characteristic to the team. But if Werner, you've been frustrated with him earlier in the game, you still let him play 90 minutes, and then you bring Pulisic on. That just didn't make sense with, to me and Not didn't sit well with me, and it still hasn't. And we've seen some of the comments after the game from Tuchel about Pulisic, and he said, I think I know he's stronger from the bench, uh, and I prefer to have him as an option from the bench, and I have been a little bit harsh to him, and I've known him from the past, and all of that is well and good, but... Two minutes off the bench? Exactly. That's that's more insulting to me than the double <laughs> sub of Hudson-Odoi. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, it's getting interesting because he's been praised, and by he, I mean Tuchel's been praised over his career for good man management. And this term he's used of, it's my fault, not theirs, he's used that for Tammy Abraham now. He's used that for Pulisic now. He's used that for Hakim Ziyech now as they're doing nothing wrong. Well, if they're doing nothing wrong, why do they get two minutes or Tammy doesn't make the squad and Hakim's in a couple of weeks and then out a couple of weeks? I mean, I really must commend you because the title you've picked here, Tinkering Tuchel, is starting to make sense. Not necessarily in the back eight or so players. It's the front three where I don't think he's found his best front three yet. And, and that's a good topic of you know debate is, does he know his first eleven? Or first, I guess, eight he does, and then the three always change. Um, and initially, you know, just right after the game, I'm like, he doesn't. He doesn't know the three he wants to play. But then you look at the games and you look at who's played and what's worked and how things have gone. And I, let's be honest, he's come in six weeks, eight weeks ago at this point. Yep. And we've literally pay, played two games a week since then. I think the only game, only week we had where we played one game was between Newcastle and Southampton. And so then you think about it and you're saying, okay, there's a lot of games. There's a lot of high level games that we're playing and he's got to rotate. He can't just have 11 guys doing the Mm -hmm. same thing over and over again. So, all right, not being very reactionary after the game, thinking about it and you say, okay, you can see why he's making these changes. But the Pulisic thing has been bothering me because we said, okay, first four games, five games, he's taking his time and he's going to get back and he had a family issue. But it's getting to a point where it just doesn't seem like Pulisic is going to get any game time from the beginning. No, and honestly, even if you're rotating because of multiple games a week, like you're talking about here, which is is completely a fair point, we're only scoring a maximum, and, and Everton is the exception to the rule, one goal per game, maybe. That's all we're getting out of this. And sure, we're winning. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to criticize. This is not critical. This is just more of an analysis point. Don't you think if we started the same front three or his preferred front three for four, five, six games in a row, they might score three, four goals because they finally know where the next person is without having to look up. They finally know what run the person's making without having to think about it. I saw several times where there was a lot of miscommunication and miscommunication doesn't always mean physically talking. When you play with players week in, week out, and I mean game time, not on the training field. Rahul, you and I know this, we were not professional, but we played week in, week out together on the sandy, dusty pitches in Ghana. 
And we almost knew where each of us was without having to look up. Okay, Rahul's this type of center forward. He's going to make a run through the right side. Me playing deep can look for that run without having to talk to him or say anything. And I saw mistakes happen where someone was looking for Callum, but he hadn't made the run. Or there was a you know a back pass played and the player didn't know if he had to make the run. He was like, why did you pass there? I don't remember the specifics of who it was now, but it's almost like imagine if the same three played week in, week out for four, five, six games. Of course, you're going to rotate, but it's like every game we rotate and sometimes it's a completely different three. I see your point and it's very well taken. Uh, the only thing I can say to defend Tuchel or or put up a, an argument against that is in the last two games, he's come in with a plan for we're going to beat Liverpool by finding space and behind them. And it's worked. And against Everton, he knew this false nine is going to work because they don't know who to mark. And so they will right. go with Kai Havertz, which will open up space for Timo Werner and hudson Doy, And it worked. And he even said it that I made these changes because of the characteristic of the offensive players, because we expected a bit of mad marking, which is what I was saying. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. Honestly, I don't doubt that at all. I think it's more of an, anal- an analytical thing here is would we get away with three, four nil? Yes, you risk the chance of they find out who you are, but I don't think, and Raul, you're my stat master here. Maybe we can look at it for the next episode. I don't think he's played the same three up front since he started, but that's probably a conversation for a different day. I don't think he has. And uh, the only time he's come close to renaming or playing the same 11 was between the Burnley and Spurs game. But even then, Tammy Abraham, who started the Burnley game, didn't play in the Spurs game. So uh, there have been a lot of changes, like we're saying, in 53 changes in 11 games, which is about five per game. Uh, And mostly those five come midfield forward. So Yes, I get your point that if we get more game time between a front three to gel together, understand each other, uh, but maybe we're just at the point of a season where he's come in midway and he wants to just get results, get results, get results, and it doesn't matter who and how it happens. But I think what we're getting into with Pulisic is in close to that Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku, Salah territory where he's going to say, well, if you're not going to play me, which reports have come out, that he doesn't want to create any problems, but he isn't happy with the way things are going. And so if he decides to leave, which I've seen Bayern Munich thrown up, I've seen Manchester United thrown up. If he ends up at Manchester United, Jackie, I'm going to go into like depression or something. I know it'd be tough to see another player that we love in, in Matic and in Mata. So many players like that end up at a rival club, but no, makes a lot of sense. We will continue to monitor the situation. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Pulisic in the coming episodes here or there. But let's talk about a man of the match here. And I want to know who you think was the best player. Like I said, I think hudson Adoy for me was very influential in our attacking play. Uh, another clean sheet. You've got to look at the likes of Christensen, who we've spoken about. Zuma, who comes in and does a good job and for a minute in that second half, I thought something very bad's happened to him because he went down mm-hmm. injured, but came back and was fine. But I've got to give it to the person that was involved in both goals, and that's Kai Havertz. I'll allow you to have that one. I'm not sure if I'm ready to call Kai Havertz the man of the match. I think it was a good performance, a solid performance. I think I probably expect a little bit more from Kai, but I have to be patient. Maybe next season we'll see the real Kai Havertz come out. 
for me, they can't be anybody else than Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think he's really, really flourishing under Tuchel. Now we saw shades of him under Maurizio Sarri. We saw shades of him under Frank Lampard. But I think Tuchel has found the right key to unlock what Callum likes to do. And he's given a lot of freedom. And with freedom, I see him roam up and down through the final third. And he really, really does find a way to provide a lot of options. And off the ball too, Rahul, he makes a lot of runs that free up space for the false nine or whatever we're playing these days. So for me, no other man than Callum. And I have no issues with that. I, like I said, he was very, very good in that attacking game and, and overall. Um, so that's at the 2-0 win. We solidify or at least, you know, pull away a little bit from Everton for that top four spot. But it's getting tight. And with teams below us still having games on us, uh, even though we have a gap right now, that's going to shrink if they win their game. So the next 11 games, 10 games in the in this season are going to be very, very important and, and critical. Yeah, heading to a photo finish, my friend. But let's talk about a couple more games that were played this week. It was West Ham United versus Leeds United. And I want to talk about this team and this game because we are playing Leeds United next week. And we'll talk about that in our EPL preview later on in this segment. But West Ham beat Leeds United 2-0 with Lingardinho himself, Jesse Lingard, who reborn under David Moyes, who he actually flourished under in Manchester United, scoring in the 21st minute from a penalty. Now, he did miss the penalty, but got on the rebound. And there's a funny interview towards the end where Declan Rice is actually their key penalty taker or their first choice penalty taker and allowed Jesse Lingard to get the, take that penalty. He got an earful from David Moyes and then Craig Dawson scoring in the 28th minute. So Leeds coming off a loss going into Chelsea, but it's one of those things with Leeds, Rahul, as much as I want to commend West Ham because they have been brilliant this season. Leeds are one of those, you just never know what you're going to get out of them. They're going to come up and you know smack somebody 5-0 and then go out and lose 2-0 the next week. That's that's Leeds United. It's, <laughs> that's been their story of the season, but credit where it's due. They are sitting in 11th, I believe. And That's correct. For a promoted team, and you know, I know they've got a good manager and a good squad, but they work very hard to get their results, and uh, they're going to stay in the league, which is their main objective. Absolutely agreed. So nothing more to talk about on that one. We'll do a very in-depth Leeds preview in a few minutes here. The other one I want to talk to you about is Manchester City versus Southampton, and it ended up being business as usual since Manchester City just lost against Manchester United and they needed to take out some goals and somebody. And unfortunately, Southampton happened to be that team. Now, Pep Guardiola did rotate. He actually changed out quite a few players here and there just to give his team some freshness. The match ended up finishing 5-2. Two goals coming from Kevin De Bruyne, who's still in contract negotiations right now. Two goals from Rihad Mahrez, which was very upsetting to me. And I'll talk about that in just a second here. And the last goal from the man in form, really, which is Ilkay Gundogan, scoring that fifth goal. Now, Southampton didn't sit down and just get run over. Goals coming from James Ward-Prowse, which was a penalty coming off of Laporte. And I'm sure he's kicking himself because there's an opportunity to make it back into the squad. And Che Adams back on the scoring sheet. I'm pissed off by this game. And I had to take a second... <laughs> to speak because I really wanted Sterling to play this game. And that's why I talked about rotation, right? <laughs> yes. It, Pep does this to me every time they have a double game week. He plays Sterling one game and then he just doesn't play him in the second one. 
So anybody listening, Rahul is very, very infuriated because we, the TPC team here, Rahul and I have got Manchester City forward players and defensive players, I must say, in our fantasy Premier League. And with the rotation and with the goals conceded, it actually affected our teams quite heavily. What was the result for you today, Rahul? Going into the today's game, I was up 11 points. <laughs> and then De Bruyne and Foden turned it around and I lost by like 15. Wow, that's unfortunate. I too lost my friends, so I'm in the same boat as you. I lost by two measly points because of Rihad Mahrez. Look, no, it's fun. Manchester City have done a great job to bounce back, which is what we were talking about here from the Manchester United result. Good to see KDB back on the scoring sheet. He's definitely their talisman with Aguero being out for most of the season. He didn't make an appearance today. Knock on wood, he can stay fit and continue there. Yeah, I was going to mention the Aguero pieces. He comes on when City are 5-2 up, and what a luxury to have Aguero come on and get some minutes and get fit for the next like we said, 11 games of the season. Right. So, th- yeah, that wraps up the Premier League week, uh, game week for this week. And there's another one right around the corner. Um, right before we move on to the women's, Chelsea women's game, I do want to mention a, a sad and uh, a hurtful kind of news that came out is that Reese James as I called him, Beast James, on a right back for Chelsea, is now off Instagram. And that is due to the continuous racist abuse that he has been receiving. Wow, that is a shocker. And I did not hear about this myself. So it's surprising to see that the bad people are winning. And that's a huge disappointment. So Instagram, I hope you can do something to change your guideline rules, block people, delete these comments. It's got to change. And the only way it's going to change, Rahul, is you and I continue talking about this. Everybody continues talking about this. There is no value to some of the things I've seen in the past that have been thrown at Reese and other players, of course, with racist terms and racist chants and racist things like that. It has to stop. It has to stop. And I mean, Reese James, the young man who does so much for the community. I mean, you if you just look up his name and look up what he's done during this lockdown period, covid He's donated so much food and helped out so many families in trouble. And it doesn't even matter who they are and what they do. He just helps. And for him to get abused, it's just sad. It's disgusting is what it is. And I, and I hope it stops. I hope so too. And good on him for taking a stand and saying, if Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all these social media giants are not going to do anything, I am not going to be on this platform And we may see more of this, Jackie. I think this may just be the first uh, uh, domino to fall. And more players may say, you know what? If Instagram isn't going to protect us, if it's not going to help us out here by validating who these people are and and punishing them once they know what they're doing, we're not going to be on the platform. Yeah, 100% agree with you, my friend. I hope there is stringent guidelines set by these social media platforms going forward. Otherwise, we the fans that enjoy their content are going to lose out long-term. Absolutely. And so Reese James, we're with you and there is no room for racism. So uh, guys, please, if you spot anything, please report it. And hopefully these social media companies will, will take action soon. Uh, But moving on Jackie to more uh, uh, pleasant news. 
And that is the Chelsea women's team, who were also playing Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, have overcome them in the in the two legs and move on to the quarterfinals. So uh, Marin Mielda scored a penalty today in the second leg in Monza, Italy. Like we mentioned in the last episode, they couldn't travel to Spain for this game uh, due to COVID restrictions. So the game was played in Italy. It ended 1-1. Uh, and Chelsea win 3-1 on aggregate and move on to the quarterfinals. You always impressed me with your knack for saying last names. I I saw her name, but I'm not even going to try to repronounce it here, my friend. It I got to be honest, it took some pep practice. And, <laughs> um, I had to listen to a few commentators say her name, but no, uh, not taking anything away from her. A beautiful penalty that put us one up and we conceded late in that in that second half, but uh, didn't really matter and we move on and so I'm hoping this luck carries over to the men's team next week hopefully and for the women's team it's just continuing their run of good form and it's going to a deep run into the Champions League final here yeah absolutely and their next game is on the weekend versus Bristol City women who they just beat 5 nothing a few weeks ago uh, and so since then Chelsea women have played Atletico Madrid in the first leg they won 2 nothing. They played West Ham. They won 2-0. Uh, and then they just drew against Atletico today. And Bristol, on the other hand, have played one game and beat West Ham 3-2. So set up for a good game this weekend. And as always, it will be available here in the U.S. on NBCSN uh, on their website. So do check it out. All right. Moving on to our next segment here, Rahul. I think you wanted to talk a little bit about the UEFA Champions League review that happened this week, specifically the men's teams. Now, they don't usually fall underneath the Premier League or Chelsea per se, but I think it's good to talk about who potential rivals could be. Should we make it past Atletico Madrid? I don't want to jump ahead of myself here, but what news do you have for us? Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it, Jackie. So, uh, I mean, this week, is it the end of an era between Ronaldo and Messi? Uh, I will get into the results. So let's start with Juventus, who were knocked out by Porto. Uh, Even though Juventus win 3-2 at home, the loss from the first leg, which was 2-1, and conceding the two goals at home for Juventus means Porto move on to the quarterfinals on away goals. And even though this player was not on the score sheet, he needs to be commended, and that is Malang Sar, who actually is a Chelsea centre-back that we purchased this summer and is on loan with Porto. So gaining some valuable experience in the Champions League and going on an extended run here. Yeah, and that experience is coming alongside uh, an old-school name, and this isn't a blast from the past segment, guys, but <laughs> Pepe, who played in at centre-back for Porto, was instrumental in stopping Ronaldo and in stopping Juventus from uh, winning this game. And the key moment from him came right at the end in extra time where he the ball goes into the box and he does a bicycle kick 117 minutes 118 minutes in a game to clear the ball out of the box what a professional there absolutely so uh ronaldo is out and i will get to messi in a second but on the other side an upcoming star and erling holland helped dortmund knock sevilla out after a 2-2 draw uh and a 3-2 win for Dortmund in Spain a couple of weeks ago. So 5-4 in aggregate. And out of the five goals for Dortmund, Holland scored four. Somehow I'm not surprised, Rahul. That 
that young man, he probably is the next era of world-class footballers, given the couple of names you've mentioned here in Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. I mean, the only other name that might come close to mind and that age bracket might be Mbappe, but wow, what a player he's shaping up to be. And he's been linked with Chelsea several times over. I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves here, but nice to see the performances he's putting in week in, week out. He's a gold machine. I watched the Bundesliga game over the weekend against Bayern and he just touches the ball a few times and just wants to shoot. That's all he wants to do. And he gets a goal. So if there is a chance and he can come to Chelsea, that will be exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, so Porto and Dortmund into the next round and through the quarterfinals. Liverpool joined them as well after they knocked out Leipzig. A 4-0 win, 2-0 in both legs. Uh, and they played their home leg in Budapest. So that is probably why they won the home leg. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, no, taking nothing away from them, they they performed well and Mane and Salah get the goals and they move on. And I think if they really want to get back into the Champions League, not saying they can't do that through the Premier League, but the Champions League may be uh, the way for them to go. And the Champions League is a clean slate. There's no lingering pressure of what the league form is. It's It's a new club every time. It's a fresh challenge. And moving on forward, now going to the quarterfinals, they're they're making a run here. So something we need to watch out for. Definitely. And so the final game, and this is Lionel Messi's Barcelona, who had come into the second leg against PSG 4-1 down after a home loss and Mbappe hat-trick in that 4-1 game. Drew 1-1 in Paris. Uh, Messi scored a very, very good goal. I don't know if you've seen it, Jackie, but... Uh, I think he just got to a point where he was like, screw it, I'm just going to try and do this all by myself. Um, and he takes a shot from outside the box and it goes in, but then he misses a penalty, so go figure. Uh, but Mbappe scores a penalty himself and the game ends 1-1 and PSG move on to the next round. And like you said, Mbappe, Holland, maybe the next you know era coming up. But this is the first time since 2004-2005 that neither Messi or Ronaldo will feature in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I knew you were the best stat man around because I did not know this. And it is a little bit shocking, but it's probably signs of what we've been talking about with the next era of top-class footballers coming through. No disrespect to Messi or Ronaldo. I love watching them on their day. But maybe it's time to look at Holland or Mbappe making a run to the final here. Yeah, and you've got to commend Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, that's almost a 20-year time period. I know it's a little bit less, but uh, giving them the benefit, you know, 20 years right at the top, taking your team through the Champions League and in most cases going on and winning it yeah. <laughs> uh, is no no small feat. So even though it may be an end of an era, I think one of them has at least one more run left in them. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe you can come back with a stat for us next week. I think between the two of them and their 20 years, I think they've won the Champions League 10 times with their respective teams. It's got to be at least you yeah. know half of that time period. But anyway, so that's the first half of the round of 16 done. The next week's games, uh, Real Madrid play Atlanta. They have a 1-0 lead from the first leg. Man City play Munchen Gladbach, who, and Man City have a 2-0 uh, win from the first leg. Bayern Munich played Lazio and Bayern won 4-1 in that first leg. So 
definitely favorites would be Bayern and then Chelsea, Atletico Madrid, and we won one nothing. Absolutely. So we wouldn't be doing that preview for this particular episode, but looking forward to the next one where we cover Chelsea, Atletico Madrid. Absolutely. And since the clocks change here in the US this weekend, the games, these Champions League games next week will be an hour later. Uh, so be sure to, you know, try to get out of work early or Jackie, in your case, uh, try to catch them maybe when you get home for the second half. We'll definitely do. All right, my friend, that brings us to our preview for the Leeds game, Dirty Leeds versus Chelsea. And this is one of those games where I wish there were fans in the stadium because this would have been some atmosphere uh, at Leeds Given the rivalry that we have with them, absolutely. And if you haven't heard about the rivalry, we actually covered it several episodes ago in the reverse fixture. We did a lot of history, a lot of analysis, and it tells you the details, which really there's not a lot of origin behind why this started. In fact, these clubs are so far apart on the maps. It's interesting to see how a rivalry formed, but it's there nonetheless. And it's going to be a feisty, feisty game. Not dirty, but a feisty game. Absolutely. And I remember after that first game, I think it was Giroud came out and said, Leeds just ran and ran and ran and ran and just made it difficult for us. But looking at their last five results, they've lost against Arsenal, lost against uh, Villa, lost against West Ham. And the one win that came in that run was against Southampton. So like we've said there, I've been up and down, but they can turn up on their day and they kind of are due a, a result or a win. So uh, definitely something for us to keep an eye out for. And for Chelsea, a win against Newcastle, a draw against Southampton, a draw against Manchester United, and a win against Liverpool and Everton. Yeah, for Leeds in particular, those losses must be hurting them. Now, they're still decently positioned in the table where they're not so worried. But I think Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa, apologies there, is somebody who drives that level of, I need a win every time. Obviously, he's not getting it. So they are due a win. And honestly, if you asked me this probably a few months ago, I would say I'm nervous. But Tuchel seems to have found the formula defensively. I'm not saying we're perfect just yet. So why don't we go through a starting 11 and go from there? Yeah, so I mean, I think Mendy keeps his spot in goal. Espelicueta, again, I think plays. I'm not sure if Christensen continues or since Silva is back and was on the bench for the Everton game, if he comes in and gets a few minutes before the Atletico game. Uh, Rudiger, I think, comes back. He was rested and, and should be back into the team. I think Reese James, Conte, Kovacic, and Ben Chilwell in that midfield four. And Hudson Adoy Mount. And I think Giroud comes back in. So why Ben Chilwell over Alonso here? I think for the intensity and how much uh, Leeds will be pressing us and, uh, you know, just attacking us, I think we'll need that pace and and ability from Chilwell to go up and down. Uh, nothing against Alonso, but I just think he's a little bit slower and, and may get caught out when Leeds come in and force their game onto us. Yeah, it's good to see you've picked Mason Mount in your starting 11. I think he brings that similar profile of energy running up and down and pace. But what about Olivier Giroud, my friend? He's got to play, man. <laughs> it's been a few games, but um, no, and he may get rested for the Atletico Madrid game too. Right, but that's I, what I, I was thinking. I think 
or maybe Tammy Abraham comes in. I don't know what's going on with him, but it, given that Havertz just played and uh, we need a physical presence in the box, I think Giroud should be playing. Okay, can't argue too much with that. What about score predictions? Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, we've conceded. The only goals we've conceded under Tuchel have come away from home. Um Two one Chelsea. I was going to say one nail, just because we're not scoring that many goals just yet. We need to continue keeping the pressure up and you know forcing for that fourth position. So one nail for me. And if it's Olivia Giroud starting, then it's Olivia Giroud scoring. It, that's the way it goes. <laughs> But yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that game. It's the early kickoff here again on Saturday morning. So 6.30 for you, 7.30 for me, but we will be up and ready to go. And hopefully Chelsea win the game for us. And that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chelsea. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. And like you've heard, we do interact with our followers on Instagram. So reach out to us, send us a note. Uh, and as always, we appreciate your feedback. And we will be back later this week to do a Leeds review and an Atletico Madrid preview. But until then, stay safe and up the chels. <laughs>